Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome to Film Fandango, the film podcast. My name's David Reed, and this man here is Mr. Marek Larwood. Oh, hello there. How are you doing, Marek? I didn't notice you there in, in my chair. Yeah, I've been here for a long time, David. Yeah, I've been here a long time. Um, uh, are you well? I'm quite tired. Yeah, me too. Should we crack on? I'm quite tired because we've had to do... I should explain, we've had to do a batch of pre-records because I've just got some work in. Marek's working, people, so that's we've, good news. There's a police siren on cue at, at the start. They love to hang around Camden, the police sirens. And then the barking dog. Literally, we get all the main characters in <laughs> early doors. This You've is got so the, well scripted The police days. sirens and the barking dogs with Buddy getting annoyed within 15 seconds. Incredible. So I, I was going to go to cinema, but we've, I've literally got some work while we were doing last week's record, so I, I have had to... We've had to pull out two films at the bank, so we're covered. We've had to pull... Uh, we've got back pocket films that perhaps don't make a full episode together, but this is what it, it is. What it is. It's going to have to be what it is, and then we'll get back to the uh, schedule proper next week. So for new listeners, we normally listen to a current release and an old film, but this week is two slightly old films. Yeah, I apologise. That's all right. Um, anyway, uh, how are you? Are you all right? Yes, I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, but Buddy, how are you? Buddy's a bit tired of listening to us talk, to be honest. Don't blame him. So, let's get straight into it. All right. I saw... Oh, well, actually, before we start, we should say we're sponsored by Her Film Project. We're sponsored by Her Film Project. Thanks, Marek. Uh, they're an organisation that help promote diversity in films. Thank God. And you can follow them at Her Film Project on Twitter and go to herfilmproject.com to find out what they do. So, if something, you've got something wrong with you and you want to make a film... It's not wrong with you, Mary. That's entirely the kind of stigma that they're trying to um, oh, counteract. So if you're perfectly OK and you want to make a film... If you are underrepresented in the world of cinema... Oh, oh if there's something wrong with the world... <laughs> That's right. It's If there's something wrong with the world in your direction, then you can uh, go to Her Film Project. Oh, right. I understand it now. Good, good. Um, right, well, I watched a film. What did you watch? I watched this with my mum. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. And I was on holiday. It, trying to find a film on Netflix is, is is hard enough, but even more so when you're trying to find a film with that your parents can enjoy. True. I think Netflix has very much uh, put their all behind TV series and stand-up specials and... They've started to load on any old shit film, so it's harder and harder to find something good. But it's on actually that. quite good. I, I do. I hate their uh, scroll, their menu system. Yes. So I, I press up on the controller and I search categories. 
Yes, we do that as so well. So just go to thrillers. Well, mainly I like thrillers, documentaries, dramas, international films. Pretty safe there. That's you, that's you all over. Well, I like thrillers as well. I also like action and adventure. Yeah, I'm not a much of an action adventure man. Um, oh, there's screaming children outside. Yeah, it's the uh, also the school holidays, isn't it? So there's uh, kids running around. It's a cacophony of arseholes. <laughs> cacophony of arseholes. That's a good name for a band. Um, <laughs> Do you want to start a band? Well, talking of uh, bands, um, I watched the biography, drama biography of Brian Wilson, um, who was the genius behind the Beach Boys. Yes. This is called Love and Mercy. And is also uh, my neighbour in York. Brian Wilson? Different Brian Wilson, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll be disappointed. Well, he might be. You never Gold, know. Big white beard. Well, he's quite rich. Played, uh, yeah, he's quite rich. Played God in the mystery plays one year. Well, no, it's not the same one. <laughs> okay. Um, so I didn't really know too much about... All I know is that some of the you know pet sounds and God only knows and the yeah, classic yeah. Beach Boys thing. So I didn't really know much about the story. And my mum's quite interested. So this is quite interesting because you've got two actors playing... Um, Brian Wilson. Who have got, you got young Brian Wilson, played by Paul Dano. Your favourite Paul Dano. I think he's really good. Yeah, he is, isn't he? he? Always he also, really good. He's 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 got a lot of taste because he picks good things, doesn't he? he? Picks interesting films. But he's I don't know if he picks interesting films or interesting by picking, people like him. By picking interesting films early on, he's almost the face of an interesting film. Interesting. You almost know when you get a Paul Dano film, it's I've never sought out. I've never sought out Paul Dano as an actor, but I sought out, I seek out quirky films, which means inevitably I see a lot of Paul Dano films. What is, we'll get back onto the Beach Boys in a second, but what is the most uh, commercial Paul Dano film? I think it was one of the early ones. But they didn't know they would be commercial, like Little oh, Miss on, Sunshine. Here's, here's one I haven't seen. Cowboys and Aliens versus Aliens he did, so that must oh, be the yeah, that commercial one. Very commercial and totally shit, uh, yes. But then maybe he learned his lesson, because then he did some uh, more interesting Oh, he ones. was in Looper. But anyway, ones I've liked, you know, Prisoners is in, 12 Years a Slave, quite commercial. Youth, I really love. Swiss Army Man, which is definitely yeah. a weird one. But then There Will Be Blood in the early days, which was yeah. excellent. And recently he was in Okja as well. Okja. Uh, so he plays the young Brian Wilson. Can you guess who will play the older Brian Wilson? How old are we talking? We're talking about 50... Yes, 50. Morgan Freeman? No. 50. Uh, who's 50? Uh, Josh Brolin. John Cusack. Oh, OK. Plays the uh, 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 older Brian Wilson. And oddly... Because John Cusack was, you know... The he's slowly turning into Nicolas Cage, isn't he? That's what's weird about him, is that he... <laughs> I think I always wanted to look like John Cusack when he was younger. So was do not, you still want to look like John Cusack? <laughs> no, I think he's not ageing particularly. He just looks sort of slightly... His face doesn't really seem to fit being... Old. Yeah. Has he had work done, do you think? Is it a bit of a I don't know if he's had work done, or he was playing... I was trying to work out at some point if John Cusack had work done or it was the makeup to try and make him like Brian Wilson. Do you right. see what I mean? Because I think yes. obviously he's made up to look like Brian Wilson. Is that John Cusack's own bad haircut and weird <laughs> skin at some points, or is it the actual? Right. So who knows? That's a riddle. Who it is a riddle, isn't it? What what year was this? Did this, this was two thousand and fourteen? Um, 
and it's absolutely fascinating. It's slightly over long, two hours and one minute, but I didn't know anything about the story, the, the Beach Boys. The fact that Brian Wilson was always quite an odd... In this, in this it's very favourable to Brian Wilson. Okay. And the Beach Boys come across, who are his brothers and sort of uh, per, and cousin or something, or someone lived down the road. They come across as a bunch of really two-dimensional idiots who can't write, let alone do anything. And, and he Brian is the creative Wilson, genius who's he, dragged them kicking and screaming. He is absolute genius who had a weird, horrible father. Now... The whole story it, there's a brilliant a fascinating story behind this which I I thought was going to be just a, bio, a musical biography but basically Brian Wilson he suffered from psychosis yes he had sort of a, a breakdown and then he got this doctor played by Paul Giamatti who you recognise Paul Giamatti plays an excellent man sitting in a chair talking to you doesn't he I feel that he is slightly I feel like I've had a bit of enough of Paul Giamatti doing Paul Giamatti's similar sort of character. Who do you want him to play instead? I've had a bit of enough of him. Okay. He's got a lot of work playing very similar, sort of slightly... He's a bit like... We talked about Toby Jones a couple of weeks ago. Mm. He's a guy you get for that quote. The American the Toby man. Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he was this... This is a true story. This doctor who basically drugged up Brian Wilson in order to get, get him through uh, get loads of rights to his music and oh, just really? live get his fa- live off him and put him in some sort of mental prison where he was just drugged up is and, this all true yeah and he got eventually got taken you can read the story he got taken to, it's not really spoilers it's a true story he got taken to court because of it so he, Brian Wilson was basically taken advantage of by some unscrupulous doctor and this is a story he's got the sort of descent from greatness of the Beach Boys and Paul, the Paul Dano part of the story as his fall from grace into madness. And the John Cusack side is when he meets um, a car saleswoman played by very, very brilliantly by Elizabeth Banks. I like Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, she's really great. She is one of... She's incredibly versatile and picks quite fun things as well yeah but she's one of these You, f- she's almost like a, a female Tom Hanks in that you forget how good she is until you see her in something again <laughs> yeah she's really great I think she's underrated um, she plays his sort of she meets him later on in life and discovers all this so you've got two stories basically right. and it's cut intercut between each other it's like too long the great thing is you you sort of realise I never realised how inventive the Beach Boys so they went from just doing sort of uh, uh, harmonised yes. traditional songs into really weird like Good Vibrations the start of Good Vibrations and all the weird things they do because they're they existed when I heard them first when I was young they're such a part of my yeah yeah uh, a staple thing really not new you never sort of questioned that there was a time before that sort of thing yeah this t- what he did to I mean, break Pet through Pet Sounds is an incredible album yeah, it, it, the things he was doing was totally were totally new, unique, um, and it's fascinating and it's a sad story. Uh, this always uh, really worth. It felt slightly. If it could have been brilliant, I'd give it seven Marics. It's okay. really worth a watch because it's just interesting. It's good if it's done well. A good uh, biography where stuff you didn't know is quite surprising and educational. Yes, and the Beach music is excellent, so that adds another side to it. I was really fascinated about him in the studio and his methods, which there's more of that. That was I thought that Paul Dano was f- a far more 
interesting performance in John Cusack, notably. Okay. There's a notable difference in, in the quality of acting. It's I odd, think. isn't it? Because Cusack used to be, you know, incredibly watchable. And he's great and watchable at a certain character. Yeah, yeah. And they were, he's great, good at the sort of hot tub time machine, the sort of quite, the sort of, he's... He's gro- th- gross point blank for me is him at his best, really. Yeah, he's brilliant that. And even Better Off Dead adds a slightly comic... Uh, film straight man he's a great straight man I yeah we think. don't really have too much substance to him and mm. this is odd seeing him in quite a challenging role right and it, he's good in it but I think Paul Dano is so brilliant at doing the unhinged thing yeah you're, when you're playing two actors playing the same person if you're up against someone who's amazing you do come off it looking a bit shit no that's a shit unlucky Kudak I give it seven Marricks it is on Netflix and it's maybe uh, Maybe, yes, it's well worth a watch. Well, that's Love and Mercy. Check it out by the sounds. I'm, I'm going to now. It sounds Check good. it out, me. Check it out. Me, me, me watch my film, yeah? Are you being Bill Polad, the director of Love and Mercy? Yeah. Me, you've got to watch this film, yeah? <laughs> that, that looks like exactly how he'd sound. Well, actually, we're looking up and then you can see how perfect... He looks was. a lot like the uh, the blonde henchman in Die Hard. Yes, he does a bit look. He's got the same him. hair as well and face. Uh, the director. So uh, yeah, if you want to picture it, Love and Mercy was directed by uh, the henchman from Die Hard. Anyway, here's an email. What? Oh, we haven't done the thing. It's time for this. Oh yeah. It's from friend of the show and previous guest, James Branch. It's James Branch on the subject of movie plot. He says, Dear Buddy, David and Marek. That's the correct order. Here's a movie idea that Marek and David will both enjoy. That's the correct order. (laughs) Title, L'Aventuresement. This is when we asked with questions for your own ideas of films, which you can please send in. L'Aventuresement, The Age of Ennui. I think he's combining my love of superhero films with your love of French film. Yes. But let's read on. Ennui's boredom, isn't it? Ennui. It, it's, yeah, it's sort of uh, melancholic boredom. Yeah. Uh, format. Shot in black and white IMAX with French subtitles and German dialogue. Plot. A three-hour three film with no action sequences. We follow the plight of L'Avengers as they face a massive existential crisis. Tony Stark is physically and mentally broken after li- delivering several large-scale military projects seemingly single-handed. Helicarriers, Quinjets and all manner of Iron Man suits featuring the very latest in both IT and manufacturing have been produced by him and him alone have left him a broken man. That and Pepper Potts wanking on about <laughs> quinoa all the time. Meanwhile, in Asgard, Thor is run- wondering when he's going to get it on with Black Swan chick again. Where did she go? <laughs> Loki is suffering from the psychological damage of sleeping with his own mother whilst disguised as Anthony Hopkins. He finds it abhorrent but also completely awesome. I mean, Rene Russo! You just would, wouldn't you? Black Widow struggles to form relationships with men as she is scarred by the legacy of killing several men by launching her herself vagina first at many a henchman head b- henchman's head before clamping them in her thighs and breaking their necks. I have to go now as I'm hiding in the toilets at Monkey Forest near Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> and my family will be wondering where I am. Keep up the good work, your friend James. Um, 
I, I think a, an existential crisis version of The Avengers would Very be... Very good idea, James. I've actually had an idea for a film that will never get made because of rights, but I thought would be really fun, is a film simply entitled... That's a great idea. I thought it would be really good, but I could never make it. But that should, someone should somebody nick that. Yeah, they're probably... Well, copyright David Reed. Yeah? 2017. Yeah. Done. You, you just made yourself £20 million. Pounds. Yeah! <laughs> Um, I, I also, I have to say, that is the best place we've been emailed from, surely. Monk in a toilet's of Monkey Kingdom in Birmingham. Could everyone please tell us where you're emailing from, and it better be somewhere good now. It's gonna, I hope it's not all on the toilet. <laughs> no, what shall I do? I don't, want to, I don't imagine people just having gone on the toilet constantly, writing to us. I'd quite like it, though, if that became a thing. But uh, yeah, it'd be nice if you if you ask if you can email some from some, some, somewhere weird. That'd be really good. Well, we'd get more letters, wouldn't it? If everyone uh, toilet time is film fandango email. We get two. Me- I mean, if people were healthy eaters, we get a lot of things about the backs of doors. Yeah, we get a lot more from people who we find out who was having a lot of uh, fibre and who wasn't. <laughs> um, here's an email. I'd worry if it was a really long email. Yeah. <laughs> All like five emails a day. <laughs> this is from Steve Higgins, superhero director's cuts. Hi everyone, I have a friend at work who keeps trying to get me to watch the DVD versions of superhero films. Like Marek, I'm not a fan of the genre, but this guy keeps telling me what he's seen. They've seen a few in the cinema that were rubbish, including Batman vs Superman, and then seen a different cut of them on a DVD, and they were they're a totally different film. That was good. I certainly don't have the patience to watch two different versions of a film. I have little interest in watching the first place. You're right, mate. I was wondering if you guys or anyone else, anyone else out there, had experienced this phenomenon, especially with superhero films, but many other genres too. I've certainly seen different versions of other films in the past that have been edited for whatever reason. I've read it really badly, badly, sorry. Probably a certificate in the case of the film that comes to mind, Bruce Almighty, which I rewatched. Once and the three funniest jokes have been cut out. Anyway, keep watching the versions of the films, the right version of the films. Steve, sorry, Steve, I'm really tired and I read it really badly. Uh, director's cuts. I I sort of blame, um, well, partly Ridley Scott for doing the director's cut of uh, Blade Runner so many times, but I think the person who brought it into the mainstream is Peter Jackson with the four or five hour versions of Lord of the Rings on DVD. So, as a marketing strategy for DVDs. So rather yeah. than just watch the same film again, watch your favourite film with even more stuff you can't get anywhere else. And it actually, I think, will probably makes for quite disjointed films because it's not a very good way to tell a story of overshooting massively and then sorting it out in the edit because it, it makes for quite shit films. Like... Mm. Uh, famously, the first two Harry Potter films, Christopher Columbus, uh, not that one, uh, Chris Columbus, um, overshot hugely. Like, Rick Mail was in the first Harry Potter film and, and is not in it at all, mm. and that footage no longer survives anywhere. But he just wrote, he, he decided what it would be in the edit suite, which is just mental mm. way of going about stuff. It's a weird thing to mention before of... Uh the big, the big director's cuts were Blade Runner, weren't they? And then Superman 2 and Richard Donner because he got yeah. booed up. They were the big ones, which are supposed to be quite different. Alien 3 is supposed to have a director's cut, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Because that was a big old... It tends to be when they're sort of uh, creative nightmare with the producers 
and then once it's been a commercial success, there's enough momentum behind it for the director to go, right, now I can do my one. But it's the odd thing, isn't it, whether it was a a DVD extras a perfect thing with DVD extras and now DVDs don't really exist as that sort of solid format you yeah. don't, there's no incentive to watch it I've talked about this before and I think it's a very odd thing to think but that DVD extras or extras in general of around films were a tiny blip when DVDs were the medium we'd got very little extra stuff on VHS and now we're all on streaming we have very little extra stuff again um, I don't know where you get your whether the director's commentary as a thing will survive. Yeah, whether it's just What's a wave. the point of them recording it anymore? Yeah. No point to anything. No, that wasn't really my point. <laughs> oh. Here's another one. All right. This is from Andy, and about endless poetry. And he says, Hi, David and Marek. Went to see Endless Poetry, my local art house cinema last night. It's impossible to talk about this film without sounding like a dick myself. But oh well. Basically, it's an elderly Chilean poet presenting a surrealist memoir of his youth. Everything is symbolic in a quite literal, obvious way. Things are exaggerated or idealised in the way of memories that have been endlessly retold. Also notable is its casting. The poet's actual son plays his younger self, and another of his sons plays his father. The same woman plays his mother and his lover. All of this actually works quite well, but the literalness of the dream shtick does get a bit tiresome. Throughout the visuals were the most standout part, bold and sometimes very beautiful. With a quick Google, it turns out the cinematographer was Christopher Doyle, who apparently also did In the Mood for Love and 2046, two of the most gorgeous and visually striking films I've ever seen. I will definitely seek out more of his work. Any cinematographers who you are particular fans of... They influence a film so much, but I'm not sure I could name any others off the top of my head. Thanks, and keep watching the films. It's a very good point Andy raises. I mean, there's a huge part of films we love is actually in the visuals, not in the skill of the telling. And Mm -hmm. um, we still celebrate the director over the DOP. I would argue in uh, Ridley Scott's early work, we really should be celebrating the DOP of Blade Runner and Alien possibly more than we should celebrate Ridley Scott I don't know with the his later films that he's brought out but um I mean any that come to mind for you or I I suddenly feel ashamed I don't know the names of more DOP yeah I I just think it's a uh, I think it's odd isn't it how directors get all the credit for something and yet the writers we don't know the names of writers and we don't know the names of DOPs yeah. who were hugely skilled and what's odd is the stuff I've done it, all the roles are quite different so you can be I'm just talking from because as you might not know we're both actors so I've done doing quite a lot of different TV stuff all the roles change so our director you can get hands on theatrical director and the producer's not even on set or you get somewhere the producer's almost directing as much as the director is and giving it's, it's the director is the most malleable role in any production yeah or you get somewhere the DOP is obviously trying different things um, and also you can get a lot of friction on set if uh, the the director is a bit weak and the DOP feels that they're not doing it so the DOP starts to slowly take over as well because the DOP can call all of the shots you know they, they can and often they do you know that you can get directors who literally sit at the back and nobody sees them because they're just in uh, uh, video village just watching the monitors and that's it you never hear them and yeah. the whole thing just rolls with everyone else telling you what to do 
And I did a, a TV show called This Is Ginsey, which is on Sky. And the DOP on that was a Finnish video maker, and he gave it a really great look. Yeah. You know, and it's obviously, and he and he sort of knew. I felt like he was quite influential in his look, and they were quite in into the look of it, those yes. things. It had quite a Scandinavian. Uh, yeah, too, it's it's very it's very odd, isn't it? How we just it's just a, they fluctuate these things so much. The roles like the like the Cohen brothers, they do everything themselves, and they give other people names and they in the credits. Yes, it, I, um, it was. Um, I'm I'm remembering it as well that it was the the director of photography on the Matrix who Trey Parker and Matt Stone then got to do Team America World Police. So that it, even though it was with uh, puppets, with marionettes, they would still have that feel of a proper action film. Um, his name is uh, Bill Pope. Okay. Um, who is obviously excellent, but he's done absolutely loads of stuff. Uh, Baby Driver being one of them. <laughs> um, and he did the live action Jungle Book as well, which is beautiful. I think just the fact, the fact that we don't really know any DAPs yeah. shows this really odd and what the way it's... Uh, well, directors have been hyped as celebrities yeah. in their own right now, you know. Um, but, yeah. Do you have one more? If we've got it, yeah. Yeah. This is from Welland. You know nothing of bad films, Fandangans. That's the subject. Let me start by saying I'm new to the podcast. However, I do remember first seeing Merrick in We Are Clang, looking very confused and disturbed at the sex mate man. Well, you can. It was sex meat, wasn't it? It was sex meat, yeah. Was sex that mate. was a big controversy, but people thought it was sex mate, but it was sex meat. Sex anyway, mate. A lot of people might want to get that. Uh, you may have discussed this before. My friend, Mr. Tar, discovered a near, a near classic, Barn of the Blood Llama. And yes, the Dalai Lama does make an appearance. Clive Barker is credited, though I'm not sure he was ever contacted about the film. This one has a genius premise. Sex-starved, toxic beast llamas. But my God, it took a lot of beer to make it to the end. The copy we have got got hold of looks like it was produced in a 14-year-old's bedroom and must have been made to order. It's an epic that should not be missed. However, lobotomy is a viable option of equal pain and suffering. What's it called again? Sex-starved, toxic beast llamas. I don't know if he's made this. I'm going to look this up now. I mean, Sex. when you get to proper B-movies, though, I mean, you get to a whole new level of incompetence with filmmaking, don't you? I mean, it's not quite the same thing. You may as well start rating people's You've Been Framed videos as films. Sex-starved, toxic beast llamas. You don't really need the word beast in there, do you? It's not even coming up on um, on IMDb. I don't know if he's basically just found someone's school project. <laughs> And watched that by accident. Yeah, I'm looking it up on um, Google. Yeah, I mean it's not on Google. There we go. Actually, oh, it's got here. I think the from 1997. It's called Barn of the Blood Llama. Okay, much I better. I presume name. this is yeah. So you've got. You, I'm afraid you've got the name wrong there. Barn of the Blood Inbred here's the actual uh, synopsis of it Inbred hillbillies trap various passers-by at their world of wool llama farm when an animal coroner is conducting genetic experiments which turn the animals into a sex-starved toxic beast a new look at bad animal husbandry well well it sounds brilliant keep your eye out for that it's got 3.9 on IMDb well done Barn of the Blood Llama 
Um, well, um, that's about it, isn't it? Yeah, I've seen a film. Yeah, what have you seen? I have seen a film that everyone else will have seen, and somehow I hadn't seen it until recently. You know, you get those sort of gaps. Yeah. Where no one wants to watch it with you because they've seen it. Yeah. Probably several times. Well, this was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But that's Buddy in the background drinking water. It is. Um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, as you probably know, 1977, uh, Steven Spielberg film starring Richard Dreyfus about alien first contact. It, and what was quite weird, because I watched this film quite, I watched this film probably about, no, maybe about 10 years ago. It's odd because there's so many things in it that have become part, you don't realise are like the music yeah, and the whole. Yeah. That you've seen before. I've in seen parodies so many times. Yeah. Or just stolen so many times. And also I've I've read an essay about the Spielberg look. Have you have you heard of the Spielberg look? Is it something where he also he includes the people that he, he that are re, uh, that react to it? It's a reaction shot that he uses again and again and again and it wasn't as prevalent in cinema until he started using is it. When the kid's is, watching his dad, it's often it? into into the middle distance, off camera, you know, shot of people. It's a look of awe. It's not. Oh, it's not okay. horror or you know, excited. It's, it's just sort of gobsmacked awe. And yes, once you've read about it, you see it in all of his films. But Close Encounters, it's used all the time. Like he's 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 uses it enormously. Richard Dreyfuss is so enjoyable in this. I've never seen him play the sort of young, spunky, almost Kurt Russell-esque figure before, and he's brilliant at it. And apparently he really uh, campaigned to get cast in this because he wasn't considered that kind of uh, draw. Yeah. Um, It's a fun film. It's quite slow by modern standards. I think the special effects would have to have been gobsmacking to hold your attention because they just aren't anymore. Well, my problem with it, well, yeah, my question for you is, I anticipated, having heard about it and seen bits of it, I assumed it was a different sort of film. Yeah. I thought it was, I, I went into it thinking it was a fast-paced, yes. typical Steve Spielberg film, but... It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's uh, it's sort of a character journey, actually, about a man holding on to a, a dream and a belief, regardless of what those around him think of him it's a story of obsession isn't it um but you you sort of you're just waiting for the end to happen because it doesn't happen for a long time especially since you know aliens exist you know you've seen it near the beginning but it's i mean it, it's certainly a really is a w- well done piece but i don't think i'd want to watch it again yeah i remember thinking it was really good but it just felt as though oh that's where et came from yeah, and batteries not included. Hugely, yeah. you know, came from that. Batteries not included is basically the kids' version of this. Um, but it's uh, it went further than I was expecting it to in terms of actually what you see. I was expecting it to keep it, its cards fairly close to its chest, and then just you get a, a quick glimpse near the end. But they don't go. They they you know they keep going, don't they? But I think, though, if you think about... The stuff with the musical notes is wonderful. Yeah, well. it, in 1977 this was made, yeah. and I do think around that... Uh, it's very cinematic with a sort of huge, sort of weird mountain yeah. and the, the whole spaceships. Yeah. And it feels as though... Uh, the other week I saw one note supplying this being quite a solitary film thing. 
this does feel like something on the biggest screen possible. Yes. Those huge light displays of the spaceships would suddenly transform into something. Well, it, it must have been an incredible year in cinema when uh, in 77 you've got Spielberg doing Close Encounters and Lucas doing Star Wars. And, you know, you've just got these massive visual space spectacle films, you know, and they're both... And we know they're very good friends, and they, you know, they must have both been getting very excited by what they could do. Didn't they all do that thing where they all got a share? It was him, and there was that surf movie as well called Big. I think they bet each other. I uh, thought they all gave each other a percentage share. I think they, so they all became millionaires. They, they? they bet each other that each other's film would do better than theirs. Oh, okay. And so they've got they've got um, like a percentage share in each other's films. And so Spielberg, I think, did far better off the back of that than Lucas did. Yeah. But Lucas was convinced that Close Encounters was going to be the one that won. I think uh, it's one of those films where, at the time, it was incredible. And because it's been so influential that it has n- not aged as well. Yes, I watch it, but it's, it's more. It's odd that, isn't it? When everyone copies you, your thing ends up dating quicker because people then take your hard work and then improve it. They they make it better. They you know they finesse your technique. But you're, I think you're right. What you're saying is, you, you go into it now thinking it's a space film. When you're right, it's a film about obsession. For me, the last one of the most lasting images of, of Close Encounter and the Third Kind is when he's making. Uh, he's obsessed with the landing point for the aliens. Yes. Uh, he's making out potato. Yeah, mashed potato, and isn't he? His, yeah. his son, it's really, his son is watching his dad sort of go mad and crying. It's a really moving, a brilliant shot, I yeah. think. Uh, of, it's, uh, it's actually, the madness wouldn't, it wouldn't be, it's upsetting to see a child just yes. confused by their parent going, losing the plot. Also, the uh, gravity going weird when he's in his truck when he first sees uh, something and he doesn't know what it is. Yeah. And that is just shot beautifully, just proper old filmmaking techniques of, you know, basically rotating a truck and the camera at the same time so you can't actually see it's rotating. It just seems like everything's gone strange. Um, Really, really sort of gripping. But when you watch Super 8 later on, which is when um, it's a love story, Letter to Cloaking Counts and E.T. Of course, really. I hadn't even considered that, but yeah, uh, it is to E.T. especially, isn't yeah. it? I mean, Super 8 has then been sort of uh, taken and run within Stranger Things again, hasn't it? It's yeah. the exact same influences. But And Stranger Things, this has got that, st- it's the feel of this. I love the the 80s sort of you know it's the 1970s that sort of late 70s early 80s well everything's set in suburbia like so many things in the 1980s start in a man or boy's bedroom like that's where stories begin is you know just loafing around in suburbia and then things are taken from there abnormal in the normal isn't it absolutely yeah yeah Um, I'm going to put some abnormal in your normal mate please don't that's how that's how Steven Spielberg sold it to the Hollywood exec so he got the money I heard that sounds heard good that. yeah uh, that sounds good Mr Spielberg <laughs> here's one million dollars <laughs> <laughs> it's a potent image uh, but yeah that's it I mean no big scrapes this is the film I've watched I've not talked about yet but I think that's a, it's a weird thing isn't it when their films you've got these gaping holes and everyone's got things films I haven't seen 
that they should have seen because there are so many classics and you sort of feel oh I can't I feel bad not or I feel I shouldn't say I've not watched yeah, that yeah. film uh, that, I think you've stumbled across a good tagline for The Bumming Man though everyone's got a gaping hole in their film knowledge be quite good yeah it's clever I definitely in, in suburbia <laughs> yeah Oh, things are pretty normal in Barry Bumming's uh, life. <laughs> so weird he was called Barry Bumming's before it all happened. Barry Bumming. Barry Bumming. I've got... I, th- I find... Oh, Brian. Brian Bumming's. Brian. After Brian Wilson. Yeah, well, if you've got any names for the... I mean, ba- it's got to be... Yeah, Barry... Uh, ba- Brian Bumming. Brian I know Barry. I know Barry. Barry Bumming's. Yeah. Um, or Bumming. Uh, who knows? Who knows? It's still in development, guys. Don't hassle us. Um... Well, that's it. That's it for this week. Um, we'll be back next week where hopefully we'll have caught up with some cinema things. But um, thank you for your letters, everyone who's written in. If you haven't yet, or if you'd like to write in again, then go to filmfandango.com and fill out the form there and we'll get that. Uh, or if you'd like to donate towards our running costs, uh, then click the donate button. And uh, everyone who has, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very you much. Very much. Um, we'll be back next week. Will we? Will we be back next week? I hope so. All right. Keep watching the films. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.